Welcome to the podcast of ideas. It's been a long eight months since we first went into lockdown back in March. Since then, the pandemic has changed life for many people. Here at the Academy of Ideas, we've had to delay our annual festival, the Battle of Ideas, and move all our public debates online. Some people have lost loved ones to the virus. Others have experienced tragedy thanks to the restrictions to protect us from the virus. Restrictions around care, home visits, to huge levels of unemployment, delays in medical care and fear of continued uncertainty. There's a lot of bad news around. So on this podcast of ideas, we talk to three people who are trying to make things happen during these strange times. How can we rekindle normality, not a new normal, during COVID? Hello. Hi Adam, this is Ella Whelan. How are you doing? All right? Yeah, all right. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I'm not bad. Thanks for um, doing this. Let's just sort of talk about what was and what is now. So, Adam, tell us what you do. I own a seasonal food pub uh, called The Owl in the middle of Epping Forest in a town called High Beach. Uh, I also own a community uh, wet-led pub in Buckhurst Hill called The Three Cults. So they're two very different business models and have been affected very differently by sort of restrictions and and such since March. And before the national lockdown came in and we were all back confined to our uh, sitting rooms drinking at home, what what kind of stuff did you do to make sure that you could stay open? Because I know that you were really keen on trying to work around the regulations as much as possible yeah i mean when, when we opened so if we go back to the, the the first reopening in july the 10 weeks or so of, of really good weather we opened up really really strong um obviously the the outside space was was well used and we had barbecues and uh even inside uh, just taking away a few tables and making them two meters apart adding uh sanitization little stations you know, we put the screens up at the at the bars. Everything was working just fine. To be honest, for 10 or 12 weeks, we did all right. Um, until, obviously, that they started bringing in curfews, the mask rules, and then the no-household mixing, which absolutely killed my business, businesses sort of stone dead. You know, the wet-led pub, very much. A lot of tradesmen, a lot of men and women that want to use pubs as their their break from home life their break from work you know suddenly they're not going to come on their own so no that that really hurt a lot the household mixing and and certainly to be fair the curfew really hurt as well because we'd have a lot of people that would pop in for a drink maybe on a friday night after work you know or they'd they'd get home they'd, they'd feed the kids and they'd come and pop down the pub for a couple of hours where you know the curfew made sort of an hour or 45 minutes it's just just worthless those that are for the lockdown would say i mean we know that all of this hurts i mean we hear politicians saying time and time again we we wouldn't want to do this we don't want to be in this position but we have to do this because of the virus do you think that there's been an unfair treatment of the hospitality industry but you know because of the fact that there's there's sort of no real uh, convincing evidence that for example pubs are hotspots for the virus they're very frustrating when we put so much in i mean each pub i think i've spent about three or four thousand rearranging things you know putting in sanitation stations uh me and others putting tape down for two or three days you know changing our systems um it, it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money to get us that that certificate or so from the council or or that agreement saying we were COVID secure. So then, you know, once we started hearing it's going to be the pubs or schools line coming out of various media outlets, we knew, we knew something was coming. 
if effectively we have we have made ourselves COVID secure and signed off by the local authorities, then that proves that we have limited contact anyway. We we, we see those pie charts, didn't we? Um, each week, I believe they were from Public Health England. We would see less than five percent of infections were attributed to hospitality and also then we got the data a few weeks ago that I, th- I think it was only one one venue in the whole of England or England and Wales that um, ha- had been activated on the track and trace system you know it is really a bit of a farce to see the sort of scenes yesterday which if I'm honest I love seeing I, it, it shows a bit of normality you know I love seeing busy parks and, and, and busy markets and things because it reminds me of the days before we had all of this but you know, as an owner of someone that's been shut, it's very frustrating, you know, very. It's un- unscientific, really. I wonder what you think of this. I mean, you mentioned there that the kind of people that come into your um, pubs is, you know, people who are escaping work life, people who m- might be doing a lot of their socialising in the pub. That's where they meet up with their friends. And so when you bring in a block on mixed household uh, socialising, then that all goes out the window. There are some people that argue that the lockdown restrictions are favoured by middle class people because they predominantly uh, affect working class lives. And so there's this whole kind of you mm. know distinction between the you know your average middle class office worker who yeah is probably you know not suffering too much from working from home and staying in with the cat and doing yoga on Zoom and you know all those cliches. Whereas actually yeah. the they if you flip it and then say the average working class person who's you know like maybe living on two-thirds of their pay at the moment or had their job cut um, but actually more importantly has had all of their lifelines for the other things that are parts of life like socializing like uh you know links with their family cut so is is there something that that is along the lines of that that plays into the reason why you're also frustrated it's very easy look i live in a nice house I, I will survive this if we open up sort of march april i'll just i'll just have loans and debts but i think there is definitely a split i mean i've got banker friends you know they're, they're working at home most of the week they're on full pay you know they're loving it they're loving life to be fair and and i'm sure there's, there's many others that are getting sort of sort of near normal wages and and actually enjoying this time with family but it does seem to be that a lot of the working class sort of are they're struggling a lot more than others you know imagine if you you were you were renting a one-bedroom flat and you've got two kids how do you stay in how do you stay sane during all this you know i just feel for these people so much that are maybe sharing accommodation or are in very small flats etc I, I, I can't even think what's going through their minds you know what what is their release pubs are obviously for you it's you know it's your business it's your way mm. of life but there's another side to this and it sometimes can be frustrating listening to the government t- talking about this in terms of numbers and costs even though that's important because the other side of it mm. is that pub life has a real meaning for mm. people's quality of life what is it about you know, going to the pub, going to have a drink that some people are so scornful of. You know, we heard, oh, people are just, you know, making a whole load of fuss over a pint. What is it about places like pubs, restaurants, social spaces, community areas that is important to social fabric? Well, I mean, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. You've got the social element, which is people's escape 
escapism, you know. It, it, it really is people's release a lot of the time. And for the, for the single people out there, it's their chance to, to, to get their social interactions or meet their friends. For full-round mental health, really, it's good, it's good to meet up with friends. It's good to, to mix. And pubs certainly are, pubs and restaurants are certainly those social places that allow that. On the economic side, I mean, people say, oh, oh, you're just trying to look after your pub. You're selfish. Shut up. This was even before the lockdown. You're killing people. Shut, shut your pubs. These people don't seem to realise that if I shut my pub, you know, let's just say there's 15 that are working for me at each site. It's not just those 15 people and me that, that are possibly out of a job or, you know, that it's going to affect. It's going to be the fish supplier, the meat supplier, you know, the wholesaler that I get my dry goods off, the taxis that rely on me, they sit outside, you know, the cleaners, uh, the accountant. It's the pub chain, supply chain is huge. And, you know, I think there's 500,000 jobs in the pub industry uh, and there's probably millions that rely on that, those supply chains as well. So for people just to say, oh, it's just pubs and restaurants, you know, it, it, if if they took those out of the equation, I would say the economy has a very good chance of having a domino effect. That was Adam Brooks, owner of the Owl and the Three Colts. Next up, we head to the University of Buckingham to speak to their student union president, Daria Ermolenko, who hit the headlines back in summer for planning a real, in-the-flesh, freshers' fair at her university. With students having been locked up and rebelling against restrictions across the country, including being fenced in and isolated for weeks on end at one institution... Daria told me why she was determined to do things differently. University of Buckingham, talking to Daria Ermolenko, who's the president of the Students' Union. Tell me, what is it like being the president of a Students' Union during a pandemic? Well, I think it's certainly a challenge, and I think the responsibility um, is all the more because I want to make sure that we're doing the best for our students, even if that's not the easiest thing to be doing, and even if that's not exactly... Uh, what the unions might want us to be doing. And tell me what kind of things that you do that make you unique. I mean, I know that it's been covered in the press, actually, that you are one of the few universities that actually held a freshers' fair in the flesh. What was that like? In fact, we held a full freshers' programme. So um, for 10 days, we had in-person events every single night. We had usually two a night, and we had a online alternative for those who join us from abroad or who have opted to study online. But the Freshers' Fair specifically, um, until the last minute, we weren't sure whether we could hold it. But then we um, we went around our venue, the marquee, and we realised that actually it's possible to do it in a COVID-safe way. Uh, nobody broke the rules because everybody understood how important it is to have that in-person interaction. This is the first time that Freshers were meeting um, society executives and getting to know kind of how they can participate in their interest groups. And so we really wanted to do that in person. We made sure that the sports clubs, if they were giving out kind of games or little competitions, that they were sanitising the equipment. Um, but I'm so pleased that we um, that we were able to hold it in person. And I'm so grateful for my colleagues for, again, for doing what was slightly more difficult, but definitely the best thing for our students. And there's kind of been scepticism about the the amount to which you can trust students to act sensibly. I mean, there's been this sort of weird portrayal of young people and specifically university students as either on the one hand, incredibly helpless, you know, held prisoner. Um, this kind of rather unfortunately pathetic view of students kind of crying in their halls, even though actually for some students up and down the country, it was really like being in prison. And then on the other hand, 
uh, it flips to this idea of students as just like careless virus spreaders that young people are out having raves and drinking and they don't care about anyone in society what has been your experience of dealing with people your age young people and how responsible have they been I think it's definitely unhelpful to view students in any other way than responsible adults I think we have to um, accept the notion that actually these are adults and they've come here and yes of course we have a duty of care yes of course we should we shouldn't compromise safety if we can avoid doing so but at the same time um, it's about excellence you know so excellence of the extracurricular experience excellence academic excellence and we expect our students to cooperate you know we've been defending the students to the university and continuously I mean I'm on the coronavirus working group which is the decision-making party surrounding coronavirus at the university and I've been always defending students and saying the majority of the students are behaving like responsible adults and they deserve us to facilitate kind of activities for them in person where we can. Everyone's talking about the new normal and what that might look like. Are you longing for uh, the day when it comes, if it comes sometime soon, that you can be a student union president having big parties? I despise the phrase a new normal. There are certainly benefits in that, for example, technologically, um, this university has fast-tracked the development of certain processes because we were forced into it. So registration, we've been longing to do it online so that we can use the in-person days for the activities. But I think this is definitely harming young people's mental health. This is, um, you know, such an imposition on people's freedoms. By any estimation, you know, people people should be, in my opinion, interacting physically. Um, that's very important. The thing that strikes me, the thing that I'm sort of worried about is that with this new framing of... Uh, focus on protection and safety, actually particularly around coronavirus regulations um, and a sort of underlying drive to not quite cosset students but treat them not like the responsible adults you describe them as but as individuals who need a particular kind of protection. Do you sort of wish for, and in your work with the Free Speech Society, do you sort of aim for a more robust view of students as individuals who can stand on their own two feet, both mentally and physically we're so pleased that the academy of ideas are collaborating with us on a seminar series that's exactly in line with our mission uh, to further freedom and free speech and to get people talking and this is i think again unique to buckingham in any room that people find themselves in they actually have a voice because of how small we are so i hope that our students take that opportunity and they don't hide behind kind of in those big lecture halls and that they can actually come and come and talk and be challenged and then develop uh, what it is that they feel they need to say that was daria ermelenko from the university of buckingham When was the last time you laughed in a crowded room? Well, for me, it was back when London was under tiered restrictions in the autumn. I managed to get down to the Backyard Comedy Club to see a special evening of Comedy Unleashed, a free speech orientated comedy night, which is holding three nights of socially distanced, sanitised, physically, not metaphorically, comedy. But as co-founder and organiser Andy Shaw predicted, it wasn't to last long. I'm here at the final night of Comedy Unleashed with Andy Shaw. It's the interval now and people are socially distanced but having a very good time. Andy, tell us why was it important to you to put these nights on despite the fact that it must have been a real headache under the current restrictions? Uh, Because we need some bloody live comedy and and, uh, people were really, really up for it. We we just kept getting contacted by people said, when are you going to be on? Uh, But uh, that we could fill a room and, uh, and pay comedians to come on, on stage. So it took a bit of a while to, to organise. We basically took one night. We normally get about 300 people on a wet Tuesday evening. And we took that one gig and split it over three nights. So we got a third of the audience in each night. And I think uh, from what you might have seen already, 
it's a, it's a really, really good atmosphere. And I think people are just really relieved to be out socialising and uh, having uh, having some live comedy and some live entertainment. I should say we're in uh, the Comedy Unleashed held in Bethnal Green in East London. And it would be very busy on a normal night, but even coming here, I realise actually still how quiet the streets are. How important do you think it is for people to be in a room? And I'm not trying to be flippant. I mean, this has been such an isolating time. You know, it feels quite revolutionary to come out and laugh at comedy. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, spontaneous reaction to stuff that's funny, uh, you can only do when you're not afraid. Uh, and I think people here are not afraid. People, you know, people are in everyday life are learning to live with the restrictions and live with the complications of the virus and looking after people who are vulnerable, trying to keep their jobs going, uh, you know, trying to spend time with friends and trying to enjoy themselves. Well, as someone who's putting on events and has been putting on events for a long time, well, I, how frustrated have you been with the government restrictions? I mean, I know the Academy of Ideas, we've had our Battle of Ideas Festival cancelled, we've had lots of small events that we usually do throughout the year cancelled, but I'm conscious of the fact that we are in a bit of a bind because on the one hand you're worried about the virus and you understand that think restrictions might be necessary but do you think that this sort of process of lockdown and release especially in restrictions being published at the last minute what's that doing to the events business what's that doing to comedy and do you think that there should be something different happening well we're in october now and this has been going on since the middle of march and it's taken us this long to work out how to get some live comedy going and uh, we've had to uh, put a lot into the organisation and work very closely with the venue so it is uh, 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 safe for people and it, and it works and it, uh, you know, commercially just, just, just about works. The problem we're going to have is if they take it into tier two uh, sort of lockdown, that means that you can't have people from different households coming together. So the tables we've got are four, you'd have to take two chairs away and make that a table of two. So it takes it down from 300 that we normally have to 92 to then halve that. And the whole thing is not commercially viable, not just for us, but not for the venue either. Uh, so, you know, all the beer that they've just bought, they'll have to throw away. All the fresh food they've just bought, they will have to throw away. They'll have to lay off all the staff again that they just brought back. Uh, and then they'll have to close the place down. They'll still have all the, the other fixed costs of rates and all the rest of it. So it is, it is utterly catastrophic. And I think a lot of these venues are going to go bust. I, I might be wrong, but I think the mood in the country is starting to change a little bit. All the, the, the surveys are saying that people want more lockdowns and want more restrictions. And I sort of understand that, but I, but I think people are learning to live with it. And, and, and making pragmatic choices about their own lives and taking uh, their own risks and, 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 and working things out. So, and I think the government needs to catch up with where the population is uh, because uh, what's happening now is uh, has no end to it. It will just be another little lockdown, then they'll loosen it up, then another one. And they've openly said they're waiting for a vaccine. And the vaccine may never come. So, so I think they're in a bind. Uh, and I think they can't see a way out and they certainly aren't giving anyone else a way out and we desperately, desperately need it. And there's a bit of an instrumental approach to the arts and entertainment going on. I mean, I've been frustrated by the discussion about, for example, funding for the arts. There has been a very generous package of funding for arts in certain areas of the entertainment industry. Um, but there's this sense of, uh, of it 
being a thing that just has to be done like a tick box exercise almost. But I mean, if you had the year of Boris Johnson, what would you be saying is the importance of events like this? Why is it necessary to, or why is it beneficial to society to hold a comedy night? What What's the value of it? Why should they be careful about these sorts of nights dying out if they continue to go down the route of restrictions that they've started? It's something you build up over time. You know, if you're... If, and in the creative sector as well, you know, if you're a, a, a ballerina, you have spent most of your life perfecting your art. If you're a comedian, you think about jokes and comedy and you write and you perfect your act. Uh, uh, if you're building a business, you invest in it, you recruit people, you develop your product, you develop your marketing. You know, a- anything that's really important in life is, you know, a little bit of inspiration, but it's a hell of a lot of work and it's a hell of a lot of investment and quite often it's a collective enterprise and these lockdowns destroy all of that it's a bit like the wizard of oz you can have a sort of man with a big lever and you can sort of you know wind it down and turn it back on but that's not how life works people have to invest in what they do they have to invest in their creative process or their business or building a venue up or or doing a place up or uh, marketing and, and getting a theater well known or whatever it happens to be and, and, and people have got to plan and think ahead. You know, people need to be with each other. And I think the vibrancy of tonight is partly a relief. I mean, some, some people here haven't been out socially with other people for months and months and months and months. And you can, you can feel the relief and the pleasure of people, even though people are on their own tables with their own group, of just being among other people. And I think that is hugely valuable. Uh, and it makes people feel alive. And, and what's also great is we've got some comics up here who are expressing a lot of feelings that people have got and taking the piss and making it a collective experience. And, and that's utterly fantastic. Thanks to Andy Shaw, Daria Ermolenko and Adam Brooks for talking to us. You've been listening to the podcast of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and share it with your friends. And if you really liked it, why not head to www.academyofideas.org.uk forward slash donate and give us the price of a pint or two. Thanks for listening.